welcome back to the LIBF Banking and Finance Podcast. I'm Heather Tilston and with me today is Scott Mowbray, one of our relationship managers in the financial education team. Morning, Scott. How are you? Hi, Heather. I'm very well, thank you. And how are you? Good, good. All very good for a Monday. Um, So before we get into the podcast, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Superb. Yep. So yeah, I'm Scott Mowbray and I'm fortunate enough to work in our financial education team as part of LIBF. And I guess my role is to try and support a region of schools, colleges and community organisations around financial education. Fantastic. So why should we care about financial education, Scott? What's the point? Yeah, great question. Well, obviously we're biased, LIBF, but we kind of see it partly as a life skill, um, but also I guess fundamentally, we genuinely believe that financial education is kind of wealth creation. So it's not just about necessarily pursuing a career, maybe in banking and finance, but actually the ability to manage your money can make you truly independent, which makes a a massive difference to the the opportunity of moving forward. Um, And also more recently, what we've seen, I'm sure you've heard about if you look at any of the press and the media, is the correlation between financial well-being um, and mental well-being. So actually, if we can manage our money and our finances well, we can have a, hopefully a healthier and happier life as well. So there's kind of lots of angles in which we come at this from. But I guess fundamentally, it just means that we can hopefully help young people and have a more optimistic future. That sounds brilliant. It's something I wish I'd learned at school. <laughs> Did you learn that's what we hear all the time? Yeah, that's the thing we get all the time. And it's funny because when we do the qualifications in schools, I say to the teachers that we support, I guarantee you what you hear in your next parents' evening is the parents coming in. So not to about maths and English, although they're very important, but they talk about the finance course and say, oh, you know, what's my daughter learning in that subject? They've been asking about the mortgage and interest rates and things like that. So that's exactly it. Yeah, certainly something I wish I'd learned um, many years ago. So um, you've got your own channel, you've got your own podcast channel, Scott. What's the, what's the channel going to cover and what kind of topics do you talk about? Yeah, so what we wanted to do with the Financial Education Team podcast is a couple of things, really. One was share good content around the topics that we cover in the qualifications. So, for example, if we're doing a part of our qualifications can be around insurance or maybe investments or wants and needs. Um, and for teachers that do a wonderful job delivering this information, this content, just to try and give them some good ideas around subject matter and links and topics they can include within in the topic itself. So part of it was to kind of provide content that uh, teachers could use in the classroom. And the other part really was to try and getting external guest speakers uh, with different voices and opinions that can talk about financial education from their perspective. So maybe authors or bloggers or people that run academy trusts and people like that, really. So different reasons for getting it together. We're just trying to bang a drum for financial education. So, Scott, the the podcast sounds really interesting, really um, useful information. Who's your audience? Who are you really aiming these at? Yeah, good question, Heather. So, we have about 30,000 students to do our qualification each year and over 600 schools. Um, but really, it's not so much for them. It's much more for the, the teachers and the people delivering it. So kind of at the coalface there, trying to get the content out across to the students. It's to give them a resource in which they can pick up ideas for delivery in the classroom. Um, but also, it's for those beyond the classroom that just have a passion for the topic of financial education. 
it kind of reaches out to different areas. We do a lot of work with charities. So again, there's lots of people there. They get impacted by, by the subjects and the topic. So we're not trying to restrict it just to being good at delivery and teaching, but really anybody that's got a passion for the topic and the subject matter. And that's also why we reach out to a quite a wide audience of guests. So we're really trying to encourage different listeners with different views and opinions from different backgrounds to come on board and share their thoughts, ideas and experiences and really everyone together hopefully will just keep banging that drum and help us all learn a bit more about the subject of money and on the subject of money what do we cover in those qualifications i mean you support teachers who deliver them in schools so what do the what do the qualifications cover yeah so for all teachers that have delivered any of our finance qualifications they'll understand that's a very broad broad uh, question and what happens usually is we start off one topic in a lesson of an hour and a half and by the end we've gone everything else apart from that one topic because it's so conversational and um, we do try and cover everything. But generally speaking, I mean, we're not like some awarding bodies with a thousand qualifications in the schools and college space. We only have three and they're really driven by what teachers and schools have asked us to create on their behalf. So, um, you know, we're, we're quite limited in what we try and put out there because we want to be specific and we want to be kind of to matter of fact about our, our delivery methods and, and what we provide. So we have qualifications at level one, two and three. Um, and really, we're looking for everything around the basics to what is money, a bit about trading and bartering, you know, don't, don't, um, denominations, all those kind of things as an introductory point. And then we can progress on through the qualifications to things like pay slips and national insurance breakdown and um, insurances and things like that. And then we move even further through to things like mortgages, pensions, I guess really anything that you could kind of find as a product or service on, on, the, on the life cycle, we kind of cover that. Um, and we try and position that around, you know, kind of where students are at certain points in their own lives and also where their families might be as well to try and keep it real and realistic. Where possible, we kind of call on current events and things that happen topically. So keep it interesting. Um, and like I say, what teachers always find is it's the one subject that the students tend to love and really buy into because they can talk about things like Justin Bieber's Lamborghini or Beyonce's $100,000 dollar leggings and things like that so you know there's things that they can relate to and um it's always quite a conversational topic whatever subject it you're covering and it's fantastic that it is so relevant to young people and thinking about their future lives so i'm sure it's very popular um in schools and with teachers yeah we're getting there i think i mean that's a good point because some there's kind of some worrying stats out there i think there's still some like 82 percent of people said they want to learn more about money and finance in school um, so I think we've still got some work to do, but we're going we're gonna to keep pressing on to try and make sure every young person uh, leaves school or college having a, at least a kind of a, uh, a basic understanding about finance and money. That's really interesting to hear about, um, you know, how many people want to learn more about money at school. We, we do a, an annual survey called the Young Person's Money Index and just testing, you know, how worried are children about um, money? Would they like to learn more in school? How much are they actually getting access to in schools? Um, and we know that actually, even though financial education has been on the national curriculum since about 2016, so quite a long time now, um, a significant number of, of young people are saying they still get most of their financial understanding um, from their parents, around 75% say that. Which is fine, but I think if you want a really good foundation in, in money and all covering all the bases and making sure you're not picking up any bad habits that some of us get into, having that uh, accessible in school is really important. Um, and, you know, we know that young people, particularly those 17 to 18 age group, really worry about money. About 82% in our last survey said they worried about money. Um, and 
59% said that COVID has made them feel even more anxious about money. So it's a really important time for young people to feel empowered and feel confident when dealing with money. Um, and we know that they all would like um, more education uh, in school. So I think the figure was 88% who said they would like more education in school. It's true, Heather. And I think the flip side to that is also the fact that um, if they're not getting education in school, some of these old, especially the older teenagers, they're influenced by the social media channels. We did a, one of the earlier episodes with Darren Collins talking about the influence of kind of TikTok on, on making financial choices, you know. Um, and if we're not counteracting some of those kind of misinformation that can, can be out there in the, on social media, then students, uh, so young people are kind of more vulnerable to making bad choices. And we have an obligation to try and make sure that at least they're informed as a consumer about the choices that they make. So technology and the, and the way that finance has moved over the last five or 10 years just means we've got more of a duty really to try and make sure that we're helping these young people make good choices as they move out into the big wide world. And um, you have quite a few different people on I noticed that you had some of the um, winners of our young financial journalists on there it's really interesting to hear what they've got to say about how they felt to enter the competition and why financial education is important to them we've also one of the latest podcasts I think has got um, Andrew Craig yeah so exactly that Heather yeah so I'm delighted to say that we've kind of had a few without internal team on there talking about higher education and talking about what we do in FE. And we've even got one coming up with our chief examiner that's coming up in October time. Um, but really, I guess uh, the bit that gives us most joy is those external guests. So we had the three winners from the Young Financial Journalist Competition. And they were all awesome, brilliant winners. And they articulated their story and how they came to being successful in the competition, which was brilliant, along with their teachers. Um, and we've had some external guests as well, which have all been brilliant. And the most recent one was with Andrew Craig, who um, does lots of things. But one of the things he's well known for is his plain English finance website and resources. So I guess in many ways, what Andrew's doing, what we're doing in the kind of uh, the the younger audience space, Andrew's doing with an older audience. So yeah, it's a great episode. Fantastic. So um, here's a snippet from that episode. Back to your point about, you know, one of your objectives on the website, you mentioned it is to improve the financial affairs of as many people as possible, which is wonderful. There's obviously an issue with understanding of finance. We recognize that, you said, particularly in Britain as well. So I just I just wonder, why is there an issue then? Why have we got this problem with it? If we look at the, how we might solve some of these things, where does the problem come from? Why does it exist? And particularly, why does it exist in Britain? There are, I mean, there are, again, there are tons of answers to that question. I think one of the first ones is that I read a brilliant book recently by a guy called Morgan Housel called The Psychology of Money. Um, annoyingly, he sold nearly four, I think he sold 400,000 copies of that book, so he's blowing me out of the water. But, um, <laughs> I'll t- I'm, I've sold far more copies of my book than I ever dreamed I possibly would, so, so I'll take that. But he's also American and his book works, my book's mainly for the British market and the American market's so much bigger. So, but the, the reason I mention that is he he talks about um, there's a I mean, that is, a by the way, it's a fantastic book that everybody should read because it, it really helps some of the stuff. But he talks about the fact that actually most financial products are only a few decades old, you know, before. And, and I talk about that in my book. I talk about the fact that because of financial innovation, you know, the mere fact that it is possible to invest in stuff and then aspire to get to a point in your life, which we call retirement at the moment, and conventionally, you know, is a pension and people at the age of 60 or whatever can stop and live on their capital, not on their labour. The mere fact that that's even possible, that there is a, if you like, a a human technology that makes that possible is remarkable and relatively new. 
the, the sort of human society's transitioned massively, obviously, in the last century plus from, you know, feudal to it's kind of agrarian, basically Downton Abbey, you know, the rich people had everything and, and there was no middle class and you're either sort of an aristocrat or grindingly poor and had a life expectancy of 20. But it's only, you know, that has only changed really, really quite recently. I mean, in the last three generations, I mean, my great grandparents were living in a world that was much more like that than we are. And like, like any new innovation, it takes quite a long time for things to percolate out into the entire population. You know, the early adopters are, are people like Warren Buffett or people launching hedge funds in the 60s when they first figured out the technology how to do that, which was a very, very small percentage of people in places like Manhattan, New York and London and you know, whatever else. But, but like anything else, I mean, one of the great and I suppose, if you like, we're surfing this this tide. I mean, God, that's a, that's a, another Californian cheesy uh, thing to say. <laughs> but you know, what? Why is the time come for me to try and launch this business? Because actually, you know, social media and information can get disseminated far more effectively nowadays than ever in history. The problem with that at the moment is that bad information has just as good a chance at. Uh, being disseminated as good information yeah. and you know if people haven't got the educational chops or backgrounds to differentiate between the two and actually and they, i mean we can probably come on to this but I, this is why i rail against the crypto um i mean I, let's be clear i'm not just an unrepentant bear on crypto and blockchain but i just think that there's a very very big disconnect there because one of the problems with finance and it goes back to that book i mentioned the psychology of money right is the most important factor in your success is you and your psychology and one of the and psycho, psychological biases and imperfections in the way our brains work make us naturally bad investors for a whole re bunch of reasons we can unpack that you have to be aware of and so and one of those is is basically um well it's you know the old thing about fear and greed but if you tell somebody i can make you 100 percent a year and then i tell somebody i can make you six and a half or seven percent a year and I'm competing with the person saying they can make you 100% a year commercially, even if people at the back of their mind know that the 100% a year person is lying or is mistaken. The nature of human cognition psychology is such that that person is far more likely to get the oxygen of their attention than I am, even though I'm not lying. Right. So and, and that's been compounded in the last few years in crypto, particularly because regulators all over the world are totally fails to regulate that. So. I'm regulated by the FCA, which means there is really, really aggressive rules about the exams I need to pass, the record keeping I need to do, the things I'm allowed to say and I'm not allowed to say about shares. Or I, I can't stand up and go, oh, I can make you 30% a year. Look at me. I'm brilliant. Right? I, I, I could go to prison if I did stuff like that. Right? Somebody in the crypto world has none of those limitations. So, so in a world where I guess the point, I guess I'm going past the question you asked, but what, where I'm going is a bit of a tragedy of the last few years is that if you like, there's been a leapfrogging, particularly amongst the, amongst the young, where they've gone straight from never thinking about these things in like the 70s or 60s, 70s, 80s. Oh, that's something for rich people. And they've gone blazing past the bit in the middle of like, what is the share? What are shares? And what is the, 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 tech, the, the financial services technology that served us incredibly well for 200 years? And I would argue it's been the fundamental building block of the massive uplift in our wealth as a, as a, as a species, right? I mean... It, Niall Ferguson, who's a Harvard economic historian, brilliant, brilliant guy, has written loads of books, talks about how financial markets are, if you like, the sort of one of the killer apps of modernity. 
and without them it, it's because of them that we have iphones and airplanes and you know and that's that's exactly and, and much better healthcare and life expectancy has gone from 35 to 85 all over i mean that's absolutely remarkable that's happened in the last 100 years and financial you know the combination of democracy and financial markets has been why that's happened What an exciting podcast that is. It's so useful and so interesting to hear what he has to say. But what else have we got coming up, Scott? Yeah, so building off the back of what we've put out already and, and Andrew's great um, podcast, we've got, like I said, we've got the Chief Examiner, Chris Hams, talking about his role and, and what he does as a Chief Examiner in, a, in an awarding organisation. Um, and then we've got some other guests from different backgrounds, so from media, uh, we've got some authors, um, we've got some people that work in the big academy trusts across the country. So there's loads to look forward to, as well as our own internal bits and pieces around some of the content that we want to put out around the topics that we provide for our qualifications. So a real mix, really. So thank you very much for joining me today, Scott. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. Um, and if anyone would like to listen to the full episode of the, uh, the podcast we talked about earlier with Andrew Craig, please go to the LIBF Financial Education Podcast on your chosen podcast app or at anchor.fm forward slash L-I-B-F-F-E. You can listen to any of the podcasts there. There's, I think it's 10 already now. We're so building up what's there and some great episodes there for you to listen to. And please follow us on our socials to stay up to date. And for more information on our financial education qualifications, you can go to libf.ac.uk forward slash F-E. Thanks for listening. <laughs>